Welcome back to Rethinking Politics, episode 50. I'm Dan, I'm Hi here guys. with Brad. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> welcome. I really wanted to derail you just right from the beginning. <laughs> I feel like it's better if we begin by laughing, and generally that is what we're doing immediately prior to the episode beginning anyway. So anyway, welcome. If you feel like you've n- you're missing an inside joke, you probably are. We've we, now whether we or not the joke is funny of... is pretty obvious. <laughs> it's, it's not very funny. You're not missing much. <laughs> Episode fifty, the big five zero. Yeah, baby. I feel like I should do something special here. I don't. I don't have anything. Well, I'd like than... to apologize for my uh, different background. We're, we're out of town for a last-minute trip. But on the plus side, this is an entire room filled with Legos. So if you ever notice me, you know, drifting off or maybe just the sound of a car rolling across the desk, <laughs> don't mind me. Listen to Dan. He's got things to tell you guys. I'm just going to be sitting here playing with Legos. <laughs> well, I've wondered if people look at my backdrop and they're like, what, what is that? Why am I getting a part of this corner? It's because it's better than what's over here, right? And what what on earth are those back behind me? Well, those are my personal demotivational posters. Mm. Not to be confused with motivational posters. No, demotivational. These are are demotivators. They have sarcastic comments on them. You're you're welcome to look them up online. They're pretty funny. They're great. Anyway, this episode... We want to talk about something a little bit different. We we introduced you guys to the book 1984 not too long ago. Introduced you to it as if no one's read no it. No one's ever heard out of obscurity. <laughs> right. Thank right. goodness you're, for this podcast, Dan. You're welcome. We are you're trendsetters. Welcome. Well, there there are good sources like 1984 though. Things like things that are worth reading, people that are worth listening to. Today we're going to we're going to focus on two people that are worth listening to. First, let me just point this out. Politics and science are beginning to be are, are starting the wonderful trip hand in hand where they they get together actually this has been going on for a while for a long time politics has in, in many ways directed science through the fact that it funds it and through that it chooses what it funds and what it doesn't and to appeal for grants and to go through the public university systems where all large portions of the money come from politics if you didn't know politics drives a significant amount of science but it's become more and, obvious to the layman in the last year and a half that that's the case. Two years ago, that was a lot less apparent, at least to me, how right, interconnected the, they were. Right, and it was it was well hidden. It was it was the way that they interact was was subtle, and it was through controlling the money. And often people didn't even realize that they had no idea that the the government was doing that. Um, and this is interesting because we're going to talk about uh, Brett Weinstein and Heather Haying. Hang, is that correct? I think that's correct. Heather, if we mispronounce hey. your name, we are sorry. We are, we are sorry. It doesn't uh, help that they refer to each other as Brett and Heather. You know, they say their first names over and over again, but last names right. not quite so much. Right. They're they're really interesting people. They're a married couple. They're both professional biologists by yeah, by they trade. They both have PhDs taught, in biology. Mm-hmm. Right. They taught at a university for a time. That with which has a really interesting history that we're not going to get into here. We're not giving you a biography of them, um, but they're worth highlighting because of where they are 
in terms of their expertise and what they're bringing to the table related to COVID-19 and the general scientific questions around it. Um, they've, they've visited with a lot of guests lately who are very prominent doctors uh, with incredible backgrounds that can walk you through a lot of the details of how the vaccines and how COVID-19 and other, excuse me, other related things are or work at a, at a basic level, right? They, they have the expertise to actually get into it. Uh, Brad and I have talked about COVID-19 more times than I care to think about. <laughs> Three or four times on podcasts specifically. Mm-hmm. And uh, is people who can analyze data and who can see politics. Um, I feel like our insights have been valuable, but it's really interesting to see them from a different perspective, to see what Brett and Heather see in these issues and what they've stumbled on. But one of the interesting things is that politics, as it gets involved with things, begins to be the driving force of them, whatever that may be. Once politics and business meld, political incentives take over Mm -hmm. because the businesses, whether the businesses make money, how profitable they are, what particular regulations govern them, these things begin to be driven by votes and by lobbyists and by uh, organizations that uh, can be regulatory. There's regulatory capture where uh, the regulatory body employees go work for the companies after they're done. And there's this, this open door, revolving door between them. Um, and you can look into that and I'm sure we'll get into it in, in detail and, and talk specific examples sometime in the future. But this happens in politics and science. If you find a political narrative meeting with science it's going to be far more politics than it is going to be science. And that's the bigger thing conquers the other thing. The, the mm. thing that if as soon as politics begins to determine the success of science, and it does that through the funding and through other mechanisms, at that point, politics is going to be the driver. At that point, it's more politics than science. So being able to understand politics will help you understand science in a lot of key areas. Global warming is another one where the politics and the science begin to, to connect in such a way that it becomes primarily politics and much less science. And to get to the science, you then have to dig and it's not good for science. This is extremely unhealthy for science. And it's really interesting to see Brett and Heather who are very liberal they believe that things like inequality are the primary problem that we're facing. They talk about things like uh, uh, they want equality of opportunity in the sense that we addressed in our equality episode, the kind of equality of opportunity that is actually a, a an equality of outcome in a different form, as we argued it. Um, in short, we would disagree with them on many, many, issues. many political things. And yet we listen to them with... <laughs> With rapt attention. Rapt attention, right. Because they're extremely reasonable people and they're extremely competent and they're acting in good faith, right? They're not, they're not trying to sell you some political narrative. They're trying to analyze things as they are. And they bring this evolutionary lens, this evolutionary biology lens to, to what they look at. And it's really fascinating. And it helps Brad and I get develop a, a vocabulary around these issues. And so that we could converse on these topics and, and mm-hmm. have insights into mm-hmm. it. No, and and we've we've talked about COVID several times. And as Dan said, we've mostly focused on the political aspect because the political aspect is absolutely yep. huge. But it isn't everything. And just because politics and science are intertwined doesn't mean that the science isn't there. 
But me and Dan are not scientists. Me and Dan don't understand. You know, we've taught, we know we did research and we looked into the virology and we looked at how they spread and we looked at this data, but we're still, when it comes to, to, to all of that, we're still just laymen doing research online. And so having a legitimate scientific understanding that far surpasses ours is absolutely, absolutely helpful. And, and after listening to their podcast, I feel much more competent, even for myself being able to speak about mm-hmm. these issues just by listening to them because they are so helpful. Um, as Dan was saying, they do have a, a very different worldview than ours. And I remember on episode 26 when we talked about bias and about how important it is to understand bias, to, to understand other people's biases, but also how important it is to broaden our our worldview by taking in other sources of information. And right. And this is a great example of how doing that can be helpful because me personally, by listening to someone who has a different perspective, but as Dan was saying, does operate in good faith and is very intellectually rigorous is, is incredibly helpful, incredibly helpful. And it's the exact opposite of ending up in an echo chamber. And it's, it's, it's just refreshing. It's just nice, Dan. Right. I think they're worth listening to for just about anybody. They're especially worth listening to if you are coming from the right. And I think precisely for the reasons Brad was just saying, because you, uh, because this will be very, very different from your worldview and the, the, it's, see, it's interesting how they see, write and, their political and, conclusions. And, and Dan, I would, I would disagree with that because, because it's not like they're, they're carrying the traditional left view either, especially on the issues no, that they're, they're talking yeah. about. Yeah. They, I mean, if you listen to what they're saying, most people are going to end up disagreeing with them. At least most people who are touting the common narratives for either side. You know yes. what I mean? You've got the yeah. right who's saying, hey, COVID is not a very big issue. Listen to the Dark Horse podcast, which I don't know if we've ever said the name, but it's the Dark Horse podcast. <laughs> yes. If you're going to look it up, Dark Horse podcast, you can find it everywhere. Just search those three words and you will find it, whether it's on YouTube or Spotify or iTunes wherever you listen. But anyways, if if you're listening and, and they're going to completely disagree with that right-wing narrative that COVID is not a big issue, they are very concerned about COVID. They've been very concerned about COVID from the beginning. And then you'll listen and, and you'll realize they disagree with many of the left's narratives as well. I mean, they're, they are in many ways, you know, taking a a they're on an island in terms of of mainstream narratives they don't agree with either of the mainstream narratives which you can understand now why you know that might appeal to us as another group another podcast <laughs> even though we disagree with them on many issues we yeah. too understand how difficult it is to disagree with everybody no and, and it's precisely these kind of people that you want to look for the people who can think independently enough that they can find ideas that other people have missed and they can defend them and they can uh they can actually read the evidence for themselves they're not merely repeating what someone else has found um, and on that note they are they're extremely good and they're, yeah they're they're interesting i i really enjoy listening to their podcast and often to, often it goes into they'll be analyzing things like they'll be talking about observations about animals in the wild and it'll be pure, you know, it's not all politics for them, for sure. Uh, so there will be things where if you're, if you're looking for political insight from them, there'll be times where you'll, 
uh, we'll find them talking about other things, but it's no, all yeah. I mean, if, if anything, I'd say that their podcast is all the, the focus is scientific. It's just that those mm-hmm. scientific issues are so muddied by politics. They end up wading into the political world, not necessarily by choice, but by necessity. Yes, by necessity. Right, right. Like how how we ins- have to wade into science to discuss yes, politics. Precisely. They have to wade into politics to discuss science. No, exactly right. And, and it's why they're, why we found their perspective so complementary to ours on this issue. Because they're the ones that can say, wait, 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 that's not science. Whereas we're the ones that are like, wait, 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 that's just politics. Mm-hmm. And to have, and to help them, to have them pushing from one end and us pushing from another, uh, it is really useful really useful for us with that as a kind of introduction to them i guess we'll talk about (laughs) some of the things they found um we're going to post a few podcasts that they've they've done recently that we thought were extremely worth listening that will that had things we didn't know um things that we we is a as a preliminary step into this i think i still stand by i'm scanning through now in my head just about every single thing we've said on regarding COVID-19 up to this point, because all of it was data driven. We didn't, Mm -hmm. we may be just lay people, but we can read data and we can look at that and we think for ourselves and say, wait, this, this doesn't make sense here and here and here. And here's why. And this is what makes sense. And, And you should do a risk analysis for yourself of what would be better for you. That 100% still there. With that being said, there's some interesting insights that they've offered into the state of, of research around treatments and around uh, the various drugs that are being discussed that could help with and the vaccines and so on. Very specific information that can help clarify some of the things that you've probably heard. No doubt you've heard, <laughs> what was my favorite one? Uh, there are a number of, of good stories about the vaccine being some secret conspiracy plan to take over the world or whatever it may be and that it's doing all these things mm-hmm. um implanting chips i guess is my favorite one probably but this is all That's a pretty good one there's tracking devices in these um but often those ideas are based on some kernel of truth and if you can find the kernel of truth in there in some cases there <laughs> in this one the kernel of truth is that <laughs> it's not bill gates it's, it's uh <laughs> Bezos or someone. <laughs> no, in this case, <laughs> I couldn't help it, the, Dan. I'm sorry. <laughs> you could. In the in this case, no, I love I love it actually. I love it. Uh, in this case, the kernel of truth is that there are certain red flags within uh, related to the vaccine that are worth noting. So, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, one of the things that Brett Weinstein and, and Heather have, have talked about is that they're married, by the way. I don't know if I ever mentioned that. You did. I, you did. You're I good. did. It's cool. It cracks me up, and it's fun to see the, the dynamic between them at a personal level. But anyway, the uh, one of the things they point out is the risks of the vaccines, which we mentioned. This is far from the most revolutionary thing that they talk about, but it's a but it's a interesting one. And one of the things that they found is that not they specifically, but they in conversation with other scientists and doctors and looking at the data that is public and that they have access to have found that, uh, that there are specific red flags, particularly for women related to a buildup of, of certain parts of the, 
uh, vaccine in the ovaries. And if you want the details on that, we're not the people to talk to <laughs> <laughs> on what this, the implications, what exactly this, this fluid is. There's, cause the vaccine is a number of things, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. a, there's, there's a, a carrier that kind of spreads it through the body. There's the actual, uh, immun immunizer. There's the actual thing that's doing the work and there's, there's different components that go into it to make it work. And, uh, how that all plays out and why it then concentrates in the ovaries, which is odd. It doesn't concentrate in the, in male reproductive organs and it doesn't concentrate generally in other places. And this is, this is novel. This is not how it's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. And that is a red flag. Mm -hmm. And that, that suggests a significant long-term risk for women, especially if they are pregnant mm -hmm. or if they were related to reproductive capacities in the future. Is that proof of anything in particular? No, but it is a serious red flag and it should be public knowledge because the long-term risks of COVID-19 of the COVID-19 vaccines cannot be known. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We should be looking for red flags like this. They cannot be known because you cannot do long-term treatments when you haven't had a long-term period of time to, mm -hmm. to study the effects. This is, this isn't anything controversial. This is just a statement of fact. You can't that what they had tested, what the vaccine suggested, there were no long-term effects, but they can't know that because they have not actually studied the long-term and mm -hmm. seen how it mm -hmm. plays out. Mm -hmm. And this is precisely the kind of thing that they should be looking for that is raising a red flag that says, this looks like it will have long-term effects, particularly in this area. And there are other areas where there are red flags as well. But this one, this one especially I felt was pertinent to share because, because it's, well, because it can have a massive impact on your life. If, for example, this ended up sterilizing women or had a shot at a significant risk of sterilizing people, now that in many cases would be life-changing. And if it were sterilizing people whose risk from COVID-19 was minimal to the point that they probably don't need the vaccine, it's not something they should reasonably be afraid of, the COVID-19, then that compounds the problem, right? These people were not actually under threat. They then took something that is going to harm them and may change their life in a significant way. That's precisely the kind of information you want. That's precisely what you need <laughs> to make a good decision in your life, right? To be like, okay, I want to weigh this. And I, and I want to, if you're going to bear the consequences of this action, you're going to be, you're going to suffer the consequences one way or another, whether you want to or not, regardless of who makes the decision. Ideally, you make the decision. And this is one of those ways you can do that. This is, this is information that people should have. Well, and, and Dan, it's interesting, you know, and I've, and I've listened to a lot of these podcasts recently, and I've listened to, to Brett Weinstein actually talk on other podcasts. You know, he, he, he was recently on a podcast with Joe Rogan. And, and so I've, I've, I've got them all mixed up in my head. And so I'm not going to be clear about which podcast episode I'm talking about, <laughs> but. But needless to say, a lot of these ideas are what I'm talking about is influenced by what I've been listening to because of the Dark Horse podcast. But anyways, there's this there's this problem with political action. And and the problem that, that we have now is is manifold. And so and it's that we've got this problem, which is COVID, and we want to fix the problem, and which is the first primary political incentive, is we want to fix COVID. Then on top of that, you've got, as Dan was talking about with money and science, you've got some other monetary incentives that are set up, which is that you've got these big pharmaceutical companies, these big 
huge lobbying groups, and there's a great deal of political power in the medical system. And that political power is going to be used to try and capture as much of the ridiculous amounts of money that are being thrown around in regards to COVID. You know what I mean? You, you want to talk about money, the amount of money that's being dumped into these vaccines is obscene. You know, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, these companies are receiving incredible amounts of money for right. the vaccine. And that's a very strong incentive. On top of that, so many of the political incentives have been set up around the idea that we get the vaccine, we administer the vaccine, and that will solve the problem. And if that's mm -hmm. not the case, or if there's anything that goes against that, it not only hurts everyone politically, but it also hurts these massive corporations that in turn support the political process. You know, it's that regulatory capture you were talking about, Dan. And so the problem is, is that all these incentives are aligned in such a way that our primary incentive is no longer just to solve COVID. Our primary incentive is to solve COVID one specific way. And that's the yeah. problem that, that's happened with COVID and especially the vaccine is that, as Dan said, there are complications and there are issues that need to be looked at that may not be the end of the world. They may not. As Dan said, we don't know enough right now. But it's okay to say, hey, hold on, we're not sure about this area and this area. Let's hold yep. off on giving the COVID vaccine to pregnant women. Let's hold off on maybe giving the, the vaccine to children under 18. Like we've got some concerns here and here, let's yep. just wait. But instead, the incentives are such that even though there's no data strong enough to necessarily support it, they say... On the CDC's website, the vaccine should be safe to take if you're pregnant. Go ahead and take it. And that is so untrue. It's 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 right. unethical for them to say that. If they said, hey, we're not sure, so it's up to you, that would be different. That's not what they say. They say it's as far as data says, mm -hmm. it's safe. Go ahead and take it. And the fact that we've reached a point where they're willing to go that far shows how skewed these incentives are. Right. Right. And they're not lying exactly. They're saying the data shows that this is safe. Well, which data? Well, the data that we accept. Why do you accept that data? Well, because it says that this solution, mm -hmm. which everything, as you said, is aligned to support. All the political incentives support this specific solution to this problem. Mm -hmm. All Everything, we accept all data that supports that. And it ends up being this kind of circular thing where they're uh -huh. hypercritical of anything outside of it, whereas they're, they're, they automatically believe anything that supports their idea. It's the, it's the confirmation bias, but it's a confirmation bias backed by political incentives, as you were mm -hmm. saying. Um, it's a, it's a, it, you talked about how I love what you said about the, it's aligned behind one solution and it's against anything said by Donald Trump was the, was the funny part, right? The, uh, the, my favorite is that hydroxychloroquine, hydroxychloroquine mm -hmm. has turned out to be effective and it's turned out to be actually really helpful in treating patients. But because he said it, everyone was against it. You've probably, I'm sure if you pay any attention to the news, you've heard about this, at least, uh, at least from people on the right, because they were happy to point it out when uh, all the democratic pundits had to walk back what they said and be like, oh, this is actually effective. And 
we thought it was probably effective at the time, but because Donald Trump said it, we had to act like it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And this, this is all political incentives, right? This is, this is, it's more important that we win the election because once we win the election, we can save the world than it is to tell people the truth or it is to allow science to go unfettered and to actually find what it's going to find. And I love, and perhaps my favorite thing about the Dark Horse podcast is that what he's doing, what they do on that podcast, the conversations they have, the way they analyze data, the way they talk it out, the way they respond to pushback against their ideas by double checking and correcting themselves when they're wrong, which they've, mm -hmm. they had to do recently. They cited a paper. They hadn't read it themselves, but yeah, they the paper were aware had just of it. Come out before the yeah, it just come out. They were aware of what it said. They said, we haven't read this. They were careful in what they said. We haven't read this, but this is what it says. This is what it claims. They find then they read it. They read it shortly after they get access to it. They find that it is not done properly. In the next episode, they say that study that we cited was wrong. Thank you for the pushback. You know, they got people, some people were like, you guys are terrible. You're citing false studies and just yelling at them. That's not helpful. But many of them, their audience are actual doctors and actual people who can read this kind of data. And they reached out to them and were like, I'm looking at this and it looks wrong here and here. What do you think? And they have this conversation mm -hmm. that's incredible. And that's what science looks like on the cutting edge. It's, it's ideas and hypotheses and you're looking at the data and you don't know. You don't know. So often when we discuss science, we act like we already know. Mm -hmm. like we've already figured everything yeah. out. <laughs> right. We've already solved everything and it's just a matter of getting compliance. That is not science. That's not how it works. Science at the edge is questions and conversation and searching. And that part of science needs to be highlighted again and again because it's that part of science that's under threat when we look at the censoring and we look at other things. One of the, one of the episodes we're going to link here, you're going to have to listen to somewhere other than YouTube because YouTube banned it. YouTube got rid of this episode. They've, they've done other things to them throughout their time as they've discussed the science around COVID-19. But this episode, they straight up banned for being dangerous. They, they got rid of it. And you'll have to watch it somewhere else. They've also demonetized everything to, to directly, as a direct to, attack, basically, yeah, on their them. livelihood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. It's, right, it's for having discussions. Primitive. For having discussions and coming mm -hmm. to conclusions that, uh, that the politics doesn't support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that and that brings us to, to one of the things that that they spend a lot of time talking about, which is alternative treatments for COVID. And and it's funny that you point out the Trump thing because so many people are hesitant to talk about alternative treatments because Trump talked mm -hmm. about it so early, which is insane. It's insane that people respond to Trump that strongly. That if he said, you know what, I've thought about it and we should drink um eight eight glasses of water a day. Do you know what would happen? <laughs> Studies would come out of the woodwork talking about how actually that's just an old wives tale and you don't actually need to drink eight glasses of water a day and it could potentially even even hurt you to drink that much water. You know what I mean? A relatively benign statement yeah. by Trump could end up having people turn anti-water. Yeah. And, it turns uh, out hate is not a particularly rational emotion, <laughs> in case you didn't, in case you didn't know. <laughs> like pure loathing and disgust. 
discuss do not inspire good good conversation and, and thoughtful. And I, and I use the the glasses of water example because that's something that's already discussed, and people will argue back and forth about how much water you should have because it is right. it's it's up for discussion, and so many things are. But when it comes to to COVID treatment, what we had is is a breakdown very early in turning it into political into political nonsense. And what happened is you had two sides. The one side says COVID is very dangerous. We need to lock down until we get the vaccine, number one, and then give people the vaccine, number two. And that's it. That's our plan. And mm-hmm. then the other side says COVID vaccine isn't very dangerous. And if it is, maybe we should look at other other treatment options. But really, by the by the end of all of this, they decided COVID's not a big issue and just don't worry about it. And so those are your two sides. And the problem with those two sides is is not only are they diametrically opposed, but they're missing 80% of the argument. You know, um, <laughs> yes. So there's a range of things there that is excluded by both. You know, one of, and it's one precisely of, where we're trying to reach to. One of the doctors on that, that they, that they interview in the Dark Horse podcast talks about the fact that early on in this COVID process, he was trying to get, trying to get the medical, the, the, I keep trying to say the medical field, the medical industry, trying to get doctors to listen <laughs> to both. him to use steroids to help treat not the virus itself, but the symptoms of the virus. You know, people were having crazy lung issues. That's one of the primary issues is these pneumonia-like symptoms that's killing yeah. people. And yeah, that's almost always the fatal, the fatal thing. And if, these if people, and these people aren't being treated. They're just giving supportive care. Number one, they're told to stay home. Unless they they start having serious oxygen deprivation, you know, lips turn blue, go to the hospital. Then we're going to put you on oxygen. We're going to give you fluids and that and put you on a ventilator if we have to, and that's it. And right. at that point, it's it's really late in the process. And he's saying, hey, we use these steroids to treat these similar conditions. Why aren't we using steroids now to help people with these symptoms so that they don't? die and he got huge pushback he was ridiculed he was attacked he was called crazy and yet now steroids are regularly being used in covid treatment something that was insane months ago is now normal practice and it's just it's so fascinating how it's just become so corrupted when when i mean i don't i just it it baffles me if you've ever seen a medical show you have a patient come in and they're like, we're not sure what's wrong with the patient. Okay, well, let's try everything we can to save this patient. What about this experimental thing? Well, if the patient's going to die, let's try it. Why not? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Let's do whatever we can to get this get this patient better. And that's not what you're seeing with COVID. What you're seeing with COVID is this kind of throw up your hands in the air and say, well, there's nothing we can do. Yeah, And it's, it's crazy. It comes, it comes from a top-down assessment of what should be done, followed by compliance from the doctors. Doctors in this case are no longer doctors. actively, yeah, they're no longer engaged in a scientific process to help their patient, where they're drawing upon their experience and where they're drawing upon their, their understanding to help. And then you let that play out across the medical industry yeah. and you see what works and then you implement the best practices. Instead, and they're a, being turned into medical technicians. And it's not yes. the doctor's fault. The problem is, no, is that not. there's so much top-down pressure 
that's forcing these doctors into compliance. So right. many doctors, doctors have gotten in trouble who have lost their licenses yes. for proposing yeah. alternative treatments. Yes, alternative treatments that they were implementing and that were working. And then the top down came in and they said, mm -hmm. no, this is what you have to do or we're going to get in trouble. And then they, uh, they couldn't get it changed. And as you said, there's, there begins to be, you start to see doctors punishing, punished for doing a good job. And again, this is this top down. Where does it come from? Part of it is cultural, but a significant, but part of it is cultural. All of it is politics. Some of it is directly politics where there are, uh, political, forces, political, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Regulations and things that are requiring these kind of things. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, it's a significant change in the medical industry. As you said, technicians, and if they're going to be technicians, I think there's room for medical technicians, but that's not what you train a doctor for, mm -hmm. for a decade of their life. So no, and, they can and, then and do yeah, it, follow and, the instructions. And most of the time a doctor is acting as a technician. He's just following simple steps. But right. part of the whole point, the reason you go to a doctor is because given a difficult situation, that doctor has the ability to adapt. Yeah, yes, that's, that's exactly right. The, the kind that make a good medical drama, right? Where yeah, they, exactly. Where you, where you don't know, where this isn't something that fits neatly into what you have and which you have ways of addressing and which is particularly dangerous, which is interesting. We, we talked about it earlier. You suggested it at least earlier. This is where the holes show in the politically driven science. This is where it shows when you have something extremely dangerous, you have something widespread enough that everyone's attention is on it. And you start to see that we cannot react to it effectively. We cannot, we become inflexible. Mm -hmm. We become anti-science problem. Yes, it's, it's precisely what it's, it's been playing out at lower levels all the time. You just don't notice it. It's been something in the, in the works, something solidifying and calcifying over decades. But it's something that once you start to know what you're looking for, you can see it when you, even without a big emergency, but in a big emergency it becomes clear to everybody or it should become clear to everybody. Again, you got political narratives that are much more dominant <laughs> stories that people tell about it that are much more much more effective because you, you, because all we see is the stories we're told and the mm -hmm. ones we're looking for. No. And, and that, and that brings us to, uh, to ivermectin. Are you good talking about ivermectin, Dan? Yes. Let's so, talk ivermectin. Let's so see when if we I, can get banned. So when I Just first kidding. heard about ivermectin, which was from the dark horse podcast, my initial reaction was discomfort. And it was entirely because of the huge <laughs> scandal about hydroxychloroquine. I'm not, I'm not proud to say this, but, but I heard about it and I was like, okay, whatever, Brett, tell me more about the COVID vaccine. I don't want to hear about your wacky, you know, medical, medical thing. Like, I'm glad you took ivermectin. Yeah, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It, it I didn't yeah. want to hear about it. I really didn't. And it was because there's these crazy, societal incentives like even for me someone whose whose whole podcast is built around being independent mentally i didn't want to go there which is crazy to me it's crazy to me that i had that strong of a reaction and it's because i <laughs> didn't want to be a crazy person no one wants to be a crazy <laughs> person and and talking about an alternative medical solution to covid makes you sound like a crazy person today. And the fact that that's the case is insane. It's just insane. 
It is. It's in, I think the disbelief is, is not only natural, but it's healthy to a degree. I, I felt the same way. I felt suspicious, extremely suspicious. And like you was like, okay, let's go back to the other things that you, you do know. Mm-hmm. Because if this were true, it destroys so many other things I know, right? I have to, I have to rethink a massive amount of information. Mm-hmm. The more fundamental the piece is that, that someone's saying, Hey, this is wrong. And this is actually the truth. The more fundamental that piece is to your, your, well, of course, your identity. In this case, it's my identity is not dependent on COVID. I'm, <laughs> I've, I've distanced myself enough from politics that none of the <laughs> po- political pieces really directly affect my identity. But often people do do that, right? You, you get, you get so invested in politics that if something turned out, you can't afford for certain ideas to be wrong. They're no longer on the table for you to consider them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also uncomfortable about it, but it should be uncomfortable because if it's true, it means so much. Mm-hmm. It suggests it really so many does. other things. And you want to, why don't you explain what it is? What is ivermectin? Cause it's possible that people that if you haven't heard Brett Weinstein, I had never heard of it either. Never for heard all the all. research we've done into COVID. I'd never heard it discussed until on the dark horse podcast. So, so ivermectin is a drug that is, that is decades old now. It's had over 4 billion doses administered for other, for other uses. It's not, it was not a drug made for COVID-19. It's a drug that's been around a while. There are generic versions of the drug, which is going to come into play later on. Um, but it was this drug that's formulated. It's, it has to do, it, they use it a lot for, um, dealing with parasites and other issues. You know, there were, there were whole populations of people who were affected by these, these river parasites that were causing everyone to go blind or i think it was just men to go blind from a very early age and ivermectin yes i don't remember the details i think that's right though but anyways it's it's a long-standing drug that has other uses so what's interesting it's just i mean just like hydroxychloroquine you know what i mean it's not something designed for covid but but the thing about ivermectin is that it's very safe. It's a very simple, easy-to-use drug that's readily available and so what happened at some point is that doctors started trying to use ivermectin, not just in the United States, but around the world. And they noticed that it seemed to have favorable results. And they talk about this, this process, because it's actually a normal process that medicine goes through, where doctors like, I have a huge problem. I don't know what to do. Well, let's throw safe drugs at it. Because why not? Because if these people are going to die anyways, if you got someone on a ventilator, let's throw some safe drugs at them. And if it helps, yeah. that's amazing. And if not, what have we lost? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and as, as you mentioned, those, those populations that were taking it as a preventative to other diseases, aside from COVID-19, there was some evidence beginning to show that these populations were not having as bad of an effect as COVID with COVID-19. Yeah. And, and so they thought, so there were some things pointing to it already. It's, of course, it's we'll get almost, more into that It's as we almost go, like this beautiful scientific story that you would see in a medical drama where you're like, wait, why are these patients doing better? What is unique about these patients? And you start to get, get yeah. gather data. That's not where we're at right now, Dan. I assume that's where we were at for how people are talking about it. <laughs> no. No, no, that didn't. The that number came later. of no, okay. no, no. That that's already happened. We're so far past that, Dan. We're no, so, right now. Right now, you're talking right today. now. Right today, yes. we're so yes. far past that. We're not yes. in the early stages of discovery about ivermectin. Ivermectin 
is already proven, like conclusively proven. There has been a meta-analysis done of 15. So what a meta-analysis is, you have a respected scientific, I think it's a scientific journal or a, or a group will look at a whole bunch of clinical studies that have been done and try and determine from all these studies how effective a particular treatment plan is. And so they looked at 15 uh, randomized controlled trials. So these these were actual clinical trials, RCTs, that they looked at. They weren't huge ones, but they were they were clinical trials. They looked at these 15 clinical trials, and they looked at all the data from these trials, and they said, this data is good, and here's what we can determine from it. And they determined some amazing things. And I'm actually going to read off some of these things about how effective it is. I keep smiling while you're while you're looking that up because it's it it does seem so improbable and it does seem like a like a, almost like a movie type thing the way this setup works. But this is this is often how medical discoveries look. They you you hear stories about medical discoveries and they're really interesting. Anyway, go ahead. So so the meta analysis showed this when used prophylactically. So when you use ivermectin when you don't have any symptoms, you give the whole population of this trial, or at least of the trial who's taking the drug, ivermectin on a regular basis to try and keep them from getting COVID. And they found that across those 15 trials, it was shown that ivermectin reduces the risk of transmission by 88% compared to the control groups. And that number varied a bit. And so there's a, there's, I think it was a plus or minus of about 4%. So it could be as high as 92%, could be as low as 84%. But what that means is it has almost as effective as the numbers that the COVID vaccine gave for reducing the risk of transmission. So it's very close to as effective as something like Pfizer or Moderna at stopping transmission. Then when used to treat COVID-19 infection, and this is talking about you've got someone who's super sick and then you give them ivermectin. It was found that it reduces the risk of death by 83% compared to no ivermectin. It also reduces the risk of deterioration by about 50%. Now, here's something crazy, because they talked about this at length in different episodes. (laughs) They do. The thing about these controlled trials is they all use different doses. And they found that in, in in the trials where they use stronger doses more regularly of ivermectin, the numbers got way better than 88% and 83%. There were some clinical trials where they had 100% success rates. One trial they talk about in one of the episodes is you had these these, uh, nurses, these frontline workers, health workers who are regularly exposed to COVID, and you had the one group took ivermectin and another another supplement it was like a seaweed supplement and they took those two things and then the control group didn't and not a single person who took ivermectin and the seaweed supplement got covid in that time you're like oh well maybe that's random the control group over half got covid in that time so everyone was getting covid and not a single person who was taking ivermectin and that seaweed supplement got sick. And so either ivermectin is incredibly effective 
or that seaweed supplement is. But the fact that <laughs> ivermectin has been used in these dozens of other clinical trials to and has been proven to be effective makes me think it's the ivermectin. <laughs> this is where and, we cut to a montage of seaweed flying off the shelves. <laughs> People just go buy them out of the store. <laughs> uh, no, and and it and it's funny that I mentioned the seaweed because once again, they talk about the fact that we're not saying you should just use ivermectin and throw everything out the window. They're like, we wholeheartedly believe in using multiple drugs and multiple treatments to help people with COVID. You know what I mean? If ivermectin mm -hmm. and seaweed mm -hmm. were effective, fantastic. Give them ivermectin. Add them to the list. Give yes. them seaweed. Use corticosteroids. Use whatever else we find to deal with this because that's how medicine should work. You know what I mean? If you find something that works, use it. If the seaweed was effective, heck yeah, give them the seaweed. Who cares? You know what I mean? Right, right. Like you're saying, especially especially in the worst cases, like you 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 take minor risks for when when it can potentially give you a big gain. And how minor is the risk of of ivermectin? ivermectin it's very it's, minor. Yes, it's one of the most harmless drugs in the entire world. It's extremely minor. It's minor, which is why it's been used so so widely already. Right. So there are over right. 20 countries right now, Dan, um, including some big ones like Greece, Bulgaria, Macedonia, Slovakia, Czech Republic, other countries in the U EU. There's some countries in South America. There's whole, whole, I think they're, I don't know if they call them states, but whole political subsections of India that are using ivermectin. As part of their strategy. So it's not the only thing they're doing, yes. but they're using right. it because it's been proven to be so effective. Right. And most of these countries have picked it up in, you know, in recently, fairly recently. Mm -hmm. This is not people who are using it from the beginning. Um, there were some places, as you were saying earlier, there were some places because it is effective as a prophylactic, again, as a way to prevent even getting a disease. Um, because it was so effective in these areas of preventing diseases that they didn't have other treatments for and because it is so dirt cheap and because it is so harmless there were entire populations of some nations and segments of populations of other nations that were taking this before COVID-19 happened and this is where initially when you're like why why try ivermectin well part of it is as Brad was saying it's harmless part of it is that these segments of these populations and these these particular nations we're having no problems with COVID-19. And they were like, what, what is happening here? <laughs> why, why does it seem to leave these people entirely alone? And based on that evidence alone, looking at the nations that are taking it and reducing the, the factors and the variables that could be there, you could say, well, maybe they just were never exposed. And then you find out that's not true. They were exposed and it just didn't spread for some reason. <laughs> they, they end up concluding and, and with this other data and things, uh, that ivermectin was primarily the cause. And, the evidence is, as Brad was saying with this, the, the meta-analysis of the 15 studies, the evidence at this point is overwhelming. So what does the CDC say about it? What does the government say about it? Quote, this is from, you can look up COVID-19 guidelines from the government or, it, actually don't. Google search ivermectin. It will be your first hit. Yeah, your first <laughs> hit is the FDA. And the, the title FDA. of the article is why you should not use ivermectin to treat or prevent COVID-19. 
Uh, so here's a statement from one of one such page by the governor. There are insufficient data for the COVID-19 treatment guidelines panel to recommend either for or against the use of ivermectin for the treatment of COVID-19. Results from adequately powered, well-designed, and well-conducted clinical trials are needed to provide more specific evidence-based guideline on the role of ivermectin in the treatment of COVID-19. That's not how medicine works. Let's pretend for a second that the data, that there weren't clinical trials, or that the flaws of those clinical trials are such they were of such small scale. This is, you can actually look, there's actually a table on the, on the website of the CDC that looks at some of the studies and says what they think is wrong with them. Often it's things like small sample size. Often it's things like, uh, uh, they weren't quite sure if it was a double blind because the study didn't mention specifically. It's, it's other little details like that. Now, if you were going to give them a really risky drug that could have worse side effects than COVID-19. Or a drug that was a complete unknown, like the vaccines. Like the vaccines, where you didn't have the long-term effects, you didn't know what they were going to be. Then that begins to make sense. You want a perfect study, as perfect as you can, with a massive sample size, with double-blind, all the, all the things that you have, right? But we have a ridiculous amount of data in real life experiences beyond the studies Brad was saying in populations that take it in, in people that take it in, in a variety of, in, in so many other ways that honestly, in this case where the drug is so harmless, there is no downside. There is no real downside to at least trying it. And if you tried it and it's anywhere near as effective as people think it is, it would be, I think it's already so obvious that you should take it. But, but then it would be even more obvious, right? You'd have your own experience to back up, to back up what seems to be mountains and mountains of data that is actually out there that you probably haven't heard because of the deliberate efforts of the government, because of the deliberate efforts of groups like YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, because of deliberate efforts like Google and others who are, who are getting in line with the political narrative and, and so on. It's a, it is censoring at an enormous scale, a drug that is virtually harmless, that appears to have, ex appears to be extremely beneficial, whether you have it already, whether you have COVID-19 or don't, it, it yeah. would prevent it, it would treat it and so on. It's, it's. Yeah. So, so now Dan, I'm going to ask the, the million dollar question. And this is, this is something that actually, uh, that basically that, that Joe Rogan asked Brett Weinstein when he was on his, his, his show recently mm -hmm. about this, which is, and I'm not going to ask it the same way because I'm different than Joe Rogan. I've never wrestled, so I don't have that spunk. But anyways, <laughs> but the question is, okay, you Joe have Rogan a drug. Joe Rogan does look like a wrestler. For the record, he did not wrestle. He, he didn't wrestle? I he did he fight. Was, he I, he did what did he yeah, do? Right. What did he right. do? I, it I'm was trying some to remember his specific sport. discipline. Uh, I swear it was, it was some kind wrestling. Of, Clearly, I'm revealing how wrestling. much I don't care about sports right now. That Joe Rogan <laughs> only matters to me. He as he a, commentates on MMA, so he is around all kinds of fighting, including wrestling things. But, but he never anyway. fought in any of them. He fought, uh, but when not he was wrestling. Younger. I'm trying. I don't remember what discipline specifically. I thought oh it goodness. was. I'm gonna well, get. I'm gonna well, get. Well, now it wrong. I respect him more. I thought it was I'm some kind of karate of wrestling. 
I don't, I don't think it was wrestling. He talked about seeing people get kicked in the head and knocked maybe, out. Maybe I will start like, listening to his podcast now that I know he's not a wrestler because that some people like him. Me, I hear that honestly turned me away from the podcast. I don't listen to his podcast. I only listen to that episode because of, <laughs> because of Brett Weinstein was on it. Talking some about people the like Dark him. Horse he's podcast. kind of famous. So might be yeah, worth listening to. He's a fringe fringe podcast. Anyways. <laughs> The question is, you've got this drug that's basically harmless, minimal side effects, has been used for decades and decades, so we know long-term effects. You've got a huge number of small clinical trials that demonstrate extremely positive science for it. So the odds of every single one of those clinical trials being completely wrong is insane. On top yeah, of right. that, you now are getting huge amounts of real-world data about the effectiveness of ivermectin in populations as these many many countries are using it so there's all this very concrete data that is basically incontrovertible that it's effective so why is it not being used what's the catch what's the hook what's going on here the answer is is an acronym and it's really upsetting thinking about it right now i want to stand up and pace around the room real quick and then resume the podcast (laughs) because it, it pisses me off It's called an EUA, Emergency Use Authorization. The COVID vaccines, which once again are tied into huge amounts of money and huge political incentives, are not fully authorized right now. They are not fully FDA-approved drugs. Instead, the FDA has given them an emergency use authorization to administer these drugs to large numbers of people. Because, as Dan was saying, there hasn't been long-term studies that are normally done. So, what the EUA says, and it has very strict long-standing guidelines, and one of those is that there cannot be a better alternative. If there is already something out there to treat whatever the EUA is for, then you do not get the EUA. So you're wondering, well, why can't we use ivermectin? It's so stupid. It's because it's either or. Because if ivermectin is approved in the United States and is just as effective as the vaccine, but with no question marks, with no spike proteins ending up in the ovaries where they shouldn't be, with no no any of these things, then there goes your EUA, there goes your huge piles of money, there goes your political message, which is that we need the vaccine. All of that goes out the window. And so the only option is to do everything in your power to suppress ivermectin and anything else that might be an effective alternative, at least until COVID-19 is the COVID-19 vaccines are fully approved. When they're no longer in EUA, that pressure dissipates. The other reason, Dan, and this is also upsetting, ivermectin has been around so long that there is no patent protection. There is no monopoly of a company who owns ivermectin. Someone owns the drug ivermectin, but there are generics that are in use, right, right, which right. means that it's dirt cheap, which means that if we use ivermectin, Dan... No one makes a butt ton of money. No one does. Instead, we just save people. Instead, if you use, they talk about rem, remdesivir, 
which is a drug that has very little proven evidence of its effectiveness against COVID, but it's relatively safe and costs, I think it's like 2,600 bucks a dose because it's still, it's a new drug and it's still protected. (laughs) That drug is getting used all the time because there's money to be made. And it's, it's because it's, (laughs) the system is so whacked. You know, we talked about patents before and how stupid they are. This is being demonstrated here Mm -hmm. because patents exist. Pharmaceutical companies only care about the drugs that are still under patents. As soon as the drug's no longer under patent, it becomes an unimportant drug in terms of that company. The company that's involved with making ivermectin is actually in the process of making a new drug similar to ivermectin specifically for COVID. And if they do, then they're going to get a crap ton of money. So that's why they're going to focus their energy on that instead of on ivermectin because they don't have a patent and so they don't care. And it's just (laughs) twisted. It's just twisted, Dan. Yes, and we'll never know the degree fully to which these factors that Brad just outlined determined the way that the narrative and things around COVID-19 developed. Um, there's, but they're definitely uh, not helping right now. They there's can't no help. Question of that. And there's no doubt that in, in in at least some instances they were part of what led to downplaying COVID nineteen, downplaying COVID nineteen, what led to downplay, downplaying ivermectin and keeping it out of the spotlight. Yeah. There's no question that it's that it's a piece of the puzzle, and perhaps even the primary piece. One of the interesting things about listening to to Brett Weinstein lately. And the people he interviews, often when he's interviewing people, it's him alone and Heather isn't, isn't yeah, there. It's, yeah, we should have talked a little bit more together. about the podcast. There's two main formats. Every right. week they do a live stream, which is Brett Weinstein and Heather Haying. Once again, sorry, Heather. It's Brett and Heather once a week doing a live stream. And then periodically, not on a regular basis, just depending on what they want to do, Brett will interview other people mm-hmm. and it won't be a numbered podcast, but they do that periodically as well. And they're both incredibly valuable. They both bring something to the table, both the live streams and the the particular episodes. And we'll put some links up there, some really good ones that are worth listening to. Yes. Yes. And it's a lot of fun to listen to Brett saying, go from uh, Brett is keenly aware that businesses often co-opt scientific instruments to try and show that they're in the right. So the perfect, the, the, the well, most well-known example of this is, is companies like Exxon hiring scientists to do studies. You know, they fund these studies and the studies are aimed at showing that Exxon is not polluting as much as people think or that they're doing, you know, it shows, shows some favorable light of the business. And this happens a lot. And this is, I honestly think this is a valuable part of, of the way this plays out. I think you want to keep that because you want somebody making that case, but you've got to also see that there are going to be biases there, right? If your money comes from a business and they're paying you to study whether or not what they're doing is harmful, there's, (laughs) there are some problems there. (laughs) And Brett's keenly aware of that. Most people are, at least most people on the left are. But now he's starting to sound more and more like a conspiracy theorist because he's looking at these government groups, right? And he's looking at at ivermectin and he's got to come up with some explanation. And so it cracks me up in his episodes when he turns to this topic because he often does conclude that it's got to be just these 
that it's because these they want these producers of the vaccines to make billions of dollars. And that's that's what this is all about. He he'll say it something like, uh, millions of people die so that some companies can make billions of dollars. And he believes it's that that clear. I think I think in that aspect he's walked into politics a little too far. People who see <laughs> something politics doesn't make sense normally. So if you see that it doesn't make sense, don't assume conspiracy. <laughs> it's but there are bad incentives here, and perhaps it is a conspiracy. There are really bad incentives here that lead people to act poorly. The money, the way it works, the patents, the all of this system, as Brad was saying, comes together. We did our recent episode in on really, healthcare. In really strange ways that make it look like a conspiracy. That How the it, healthcare yes. system is formed makes it really yes. easy to have a top-down approach. You know, the way these pharmaceutical companies that are set up and the different yes. laws that protect them make it very easy for it to, to end up this way. Yes. The way the, the political way the system FDA. is set up, all of these things lined up together in a row are just yes. really, really bad. They're so bad that you look at them and you go, someone here is evil. Someone here is evil and is acting specifically to make money off the deaths of millions. Um, it's probably not the case. It's probably a combination of incompetence and a ridiculous system. But no doubt it plays some part in it. These incentives do matter. The fact that just as they matter that Fauci, Fauci and the funding of the lab in Wuhan, right? The way that mm -hmm. he was, he was funding some third party that was then funding the lab and more and more that's becoming something that people are discussing mainstream that this is, wait a second, <laughs> there's some, there's some sketchy things here. And that's, that's right. They are super sketchy. They're super sketchy. Um, the more I learn about the FDA and the approval process for vaccines and what it guarantees these businesses and one of the surest ways to make billions of dollars in the world, perhaps the surest way in the world to make a billion of dollars, to make billions of dollars is to get a vaccine approved. And it takes a ridiculous process to get it done. But there are groups that basically have the pathway secured, it takes time, but they make, when a vaccine gets approved, it's a ridiculous amount of money to these groups. And there's a reason that the U.S. has not just more vaccines that they give to children than any other country. Probably not any other. I say that now. I'm not, that's a, that's a, <laughs> but it's, absolute it's high statement. on the list. It's, it's extremely high. Given. You compare, you compare countries like us. You compare us to, to European countries. We give way more vaccines than they do. Way more. Why? If the, if the, Incentives. if the benefits are so clear for these vaccines, why aren't they doing it? And yeah, anyway, you can get into that and <laughs> look that up yourself. But the FDA and the process, it, it's all, it's sketchy and it's sketchy at every level. And then you get into the specifics of this circumstance and this emergency and how it all plays out. It's not surprising that there was something more effective, ivermectin, that was less dangerous, that nobody wanted to talk about because it didn't fit in with political narratives. It didn't fit into the incentive structures that are built. It didn't fit into all of these pieces came together in a way that ivermectin had no place there. Ivermectin had no place in this discussion. And it should have. It should have been discovered earlier. I mean, it was discovered quite some time ago that it would be effective in these circumstances. And it just wasn't implemented and isn't any closer to being implemented in places like the US, though some countries are. Yeah, and, India, and what's, I believe, and is, what's is crazy is you're going to have these countries that start having amazing results in terms of their ability to deal with COVID. 
And we are going to be a country that has spent more than almost any other country in the world, right. specifically on combating COVID. I mean, we've sunk so much money into it and yet still be lagging far behind simply because of our unwillingness to look past this one perspective. Yes. Yes. And, and it's, it's just crazy. It's, it's truly crazy. Um, the one nice thing I'd say about this episode is here as we're coming towards the end of it, Dan, is that we actually have a fantastic takeaway for all of those who are listening, who are really interested in this topic or are considering whether or not to get the COVID vaccine, is that we have an answer for you and it's go listen to the Dark Horse podcast. Listen, <laughs> I mean, there's a, yeah. I mean, one of the episodes we're going to put up, you know, he, I mean, a couple of the episodes, he, He's interviewing these doctors who are deeply, deeply involved in this process. You know, one of the guys he interviews is someone who basically came up with mRNA vaccines in the first place years ago. Right, the inventor. And so the 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 degree of expertise and just sheer knowledge that's being brought to the table is incredible. You know, we've talked about it here for for the past half an hour about ivermectin and the vaccines and all of that and and we're doing our best here, but if you really want to understand what's going on and how it's working, you need to listen to these episodes and dig further into it because it's yeah. it's incredible the wealth of knowledge that's there and the the sheer intellectual integrity and honesty that you have in the Dark Horse podcast is invaluable. Yes, and especially in the science, as you were saying, in the medical expertise that they're bringing to the table, you will not you can't find more qualified and more competent people discussing this in a, in such an open manner anywhere in the world. As far as I'm aware, there, there may be no place other than the dark horse podcast where you'd find people of this caliber having these kind of conversations. That's, that's the kind of thing that, uh, we aspire to in our podcast, what we want to do in the long run, right? Having guests and things, having, having the kind of conversations where you can't find anything higher than that. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. our, our insight into the this our particular insight is very similar to the one of of what we were proposing in healthcare. You can wipe away most of this system and leave doctors and patients to try and find solutions to their problem, and it would have been so much more effective. Their interests would align, their incentives align. You want I want to get better, my doctor wants me to get better. I'm paying him money to help to to help incentivize him, and right? We're on the same need. team. And and there you go. You work together and you figure it out. They implement best practices. You, the things play out in a way where the pieces all make sense. Now, there were going to be mistakes along the way. Nobody's perfect. This isn't, we're not proposing some utopia. No, not But at compared all. to the system we're looking at, it sure feels utopian. <laughs> Just in simplicity alone, where it's like, what if, what if all of the players wanted the same thing? What if the people who had the problem paid people to help them solve the problem? What if we remove these, these structures that had all these crooked incentives? Yes, that sent everything sideways and made it all mm -hmm. a political game and made it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it would be fantastic specifically for COVID. You know, we talked about the broader implications, you know, last week, but specifically for COVID, the, specifically the, for the COVID. effects would be amazing. And, and we're talking about real... I mean, there, I mean, it was, uh, I think it's Belgium. Belgium is implementing a plan that is straight up inspired by Brett Weinstein. Brett <laughs> Weinstein specifically talked about how you could use ivermectin to eradicate COVID in six weeks. 
Belgium is doing a plan to do that, executing a plan to do that. They are going right. to administer ivermectin nationwide, and they're going to try and eradicate COVID in Belgium within a six-week period. And I'm really excited to see the results from that because I don't know what what these experts, these so-called experts and these so-called organizations, not so-called organizations, they are organizations, <laughs> but you know, what, what is the FDA? So-called this, good ex- the, organizations. Yeah, yeah. CDC are going to say when you have a country that simply solves the problem. I don't know. I don't know, Dan, <laughs> but I'm, but I'm fascinated to see it. Yes. Yes. Especially as it, with the talk of variants and things, ivermectin appears to be the vaccines depend on the spike protein. Different variations have different spike proteins. Not all, which of, is but why some of so them. many of the vaccines are struggling yes. with the variants. And ivermectin, yes. at least right now, appears to be doing a better job appears than to cover the vaccines all of them. <laughs> with the variants. And that alone is a is a huge incentive for using ivermectin over yes. the vaccines, especially or since- even with the vaccines. You know, I mean, there's a real argument to be made for multi multi-treatment options. We're not saying yes. stop all the vaccines. We're saying use all the tools you have. Absolutely. Yes. Especially if you're you're old enough that the long-term effects of COVID-19, mm-hmm. uh, the long-term effects of the vaccine are far, you know, it don't really matter. Whereas uh, COVID-19 well, is an extreme threat. To well, you. and right now, most people who want the vaccine in the United States have already gotten it. And so now it comes yes. to a question of what do we do with the rest of these people? Well, why not offer them ivermectin? Because they might be much more willing to use it when there's 40 years of documentation about how it works. <laughs> I know I would yes. be much more comfortable. I would I would as, be too, likewise. So Both many of us are vaccinated. We, we determined the mm-hmm. risk was not worth, not worth it, especially since COVID-19 per- you know, is virtually not a threat to us. Yeah, at all. but look, but looking at those ivermectin, ivermectin. symptoms, I, I think I would be okay risking that headache. You know, <laughs> right? That small chance that, of a yeah. Of that's a one mild of the more headache. common symptoms is headache. Yeah. I think they said some some nausea sometimes. But anyways, right. so those are like, like those are the kind of symptoms that you can't disprove. So you have to put them on there. Like yeah, it may not are, even cause those, but it. Because it correlates with those, because people get headaches frequently enough and nausea frequently enough. Yeah. It, no, it yeah, may yeah. not have any downside, but. No, I mean, it's, it's a drug. It's going to have, people are going to have. Yeah, there's some trade off. Yeah, there's always a trade off. There's always a trade off, but. There's some trade off, yes. But there's definitely safer drugs out there, and ivermectin is one of them. Well, I think we pause here. Unless you have anything else you want to point out. No, just. Once again, it's the Dark Horse Podcast. Go ahead and look it up. Um, they are posting yeah. their videos on Odyssey now, um, but luckily they have links to it from, you know, if you look them up on YouTube, it'll direct you from there to Odyssey and you can find out where to watch it there as well as listen to it other places. So go check it out. We're going to have some links up in our description here of some of the episodes we've really enjoyed so that you can try them out and and see what you think, because I think it's definitely worth your time, especially if you're in any way interested in this, because we are not going to take the time to focus on COVID like they are. So they are an excellent source. Yes, they happen to be in a position now where they're getting the attention they should get, and it's becoming, well, it's it, it, it has by necessity kind of become their thing for now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's become, and so they're great given the source. attention they have, yes, they they are now in some ways in a position where they have to defend it and they have to talk about it all the time. 
I would never want to be in that position. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not but if, enviable, but we appreciate right. the work they're doing. Yes, we appreciate that they are in that position and, and that they deserve to be in that position because of the, the fine work they've done on it and the, the research and the attention they've brought and that's drawn different guests and things. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Sometime in the near future, we're going to have to talk uh, broadly about the way censorship and the culture is working and how to fight back against that, because that's Absolutely. an important aspect of it. The social institutions are accepting the need for censorship, in part because they fear political censorship will follow, yeah. and political censorship to a degree is here. And so they're taking initiative themselves rather than rather than doing it. And, and to some degree, it's actually gray and that the government is to some degree involved from what I've heard recently in Facebook and YouTube and, and at least pressuring and, and even directly yeah, and we'll, we definitely doing need to some revisit things. that as it becomes a larger and larger issue. Absolutely. Right. But for another day, for another now, day. thank you guys for listening. Have a good one. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks and have a wonderful day.